Welcome to Pressing Buttons, a podcast about video games. In today's episode, Nick and I discuss the state of play for Hogwarts Legacy. We also go over our thoughts on what Elden Ring has to offer to any future games. Enjoy the show! Welcome to episode 11 of Pressing Buttons. I'm Hugo. I'm Nick. And we're glad to have you here for another wonderful episode. You know, I know you guys love hearing our voices over and over every week on Mondays. Episode 11, baby. Number number 11 is my favorite number. Fun fact. Oh, why? Uh, it was it was my number for playing soccer. So that was like my soccer soccer number. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, all right. Yeah, for those that didn't know, little pressing buttons trivia, Nick used to play soccer, and he was good until a devastating foot injury sidelined him forever. (laughs) 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 Now he only plays soccer for fun. Yeah, not even that, actually. Now I'm just too old and injury prone, so I'm just playing playing virtual soccer. In another world, he could could have been a, a soccer superstar, or he probably is. (laughs) <laughs> Anyways, uh, glad to have you guys back again listening to us on this 11th episode of Pressing Buttons. We are happy with how the show is going and we're happy to, to have you here. And then uh, to our new fans, which we have seen through our analytics, we have some new fans in the UK, we have some new fans in Mexico, we have some new fans in Colombia, you know. So we're happy for all those new fans. Keep Keep recommending us, keep sending people our way. And now we are one step closer to ensuring complete global saturation. Little uh, Resident Evil reference for you guys. Solid memeing. And yeah, I don't know if I would use the word fans in each of those markets. It's probably just one person. So it might actually just be fan in each of those new countries. I mean, I know the thing says 1%, but 1% less than 1%. Of less, yeah, than 1%. But less than 1% of what? Less than 1% of 10? Or less than 1% of 10,000? Because then that would be 10. Well, you only need one human being to count as le- less than one percent. Oh, all right, I'm I'm the uh, as you can see, I'm the optimist. He's the pessimist. I like to think, <laughs> <laughs> I like to think of it that it almost means one percent. He likes to think that of it that it almost means zero. So <laughs> that's how we roll. Yep. Yeah, yin and yang, baby. <laughs> all right. Anyways, let's uh, start the show. Um, we got a couple topics we want to discuss. Uh, the first topic being uh, the state of play uh, for Hogwarts Legacy. Uh, Hogwarts Legacy is a new game developed by Avalanche Studios and published by WB Games. Sony did a 20-minute state of play uh, on the game itself. Obviously, Harry Potter, very popular series. And Avalanche Studio, who are the makers of Mad Max, if you ever played Mad Max on PS4, I believe, uh, and PC and Xbox. And then also the Just Cause franchise, which they also made. Fun games. I know Nick enjoyed Mad Max, and I enjoyed Mad Max and Just Cause. A lot of good uh, gameplay mechanics, and Mad Max feeling very much like the Batman games with the fighting style. So this Hogwarts Legacy is basically a game set in the Harry Potter universe at Hogwarts, but set in the 1800s, so you don't really run into any of the common characters that they have in the books and in the movies, except for like they said Ghost. You play as a fifth-year student enrolling in one of the houses, which I'm guessing uh, you'll be able to pick what house you get enrolled into. The gameplay mechanics look very interesting. You can use spells. It's very magic-oriented, and the effects look pretty cool, and the world itself looked pretty cool. It seems like you'll be able to explore more of the outside world near Hogwarts, like going to the forest around Hogwarts, going to the town around Hogwarts and stuff like that. It seems like a, a good uh, Harry Potter game. 
your thoughts on this Hogwarts Legacy state of play, Nick? I'm not a Harry Potter fan, really, but um, I am a fan of the developer and specifically the the Mad Max game. I, I really enjoyed. I think I got like you know okay okay reviews, but I I really enjoyed that game. And when I was looking at the trailer, I see a lot of the the DNA of the Mad Max game and this Harry Potter game. So you know if that game ends up being good, I'll probably give it a try, even though I'm not necessarily a fan of the franchise, which I'm probably in the minority there, where I feel like Harry Potter's is so huge and a lot of people love it, and it's probably gonna sell a ton of copies, you know, regardless. But I do wonder if the game is just so good on its own that it actually ends up growing the Harry Potter audience even bigger than what it already is so yeah i thought it, i thought it just looked great i think the fact that sony gave this a third-party game its own state of play i think kind of tells you a lot around what sony thinks about this game so i'm, I'm sure if they didn't think it was going to be a smash hit that they wouldn't have put this much um, support behind it so i think that kind of tells you a lot and i can't recall like i don't think sony does that often maybe maybe with like some some like big square enix games but I can't recall them doing like third party only state of plays. So again, I think that that actually kind of says a lot about the quality of the game. Yeah, I think you're right. It does say a lot about the quality of the games. Also, you know, with all these studio acquisitions, there have been rumors that uh, Sony might be one of the interested parties in buying WB games. I know they've been on the market for a bit. So maybe, you know, I'm not saying that gives any credence to the rumors, but it's something that you could see. But like you said, Avalanche Studios, uh, the games that they've worked on, I think they've done really well in capturing the intellectual property of the games that they worked on. Like Mad Max, I felt like I was in that world and I loved the crafting of the car and stuff like that what you could do the fighting on it um all the characters in that world i thought it was really unique it was very underrated not a lot of people i said i would say played it but i think uh it was like a sleeper hit to some a cult favorite i would say and then the just cost franchise the combat on that was really good as well i i love the grappling hook and paragliding in the air and stuff like that just dropping on from the sky and and landing anywhere just the stunts that you could do in those games i thought were always pretty fun so i'm i'm definitely very confident that avalanche studios will be putting a lot of fun stuff into the harry potter games especially uh seeing the developers talk about how excited they are to be working on the games it shows that they're really big fans i myself read all the books when i was younger and i've watched all the movies i do find enjoyment in them i wouldn't say like i'm a big harry potter head i've done some trivia and let's just say did not do well in that but i I think the developers are really excited about it and they're excited to be working in it and they're excited to tell their own stories in the harry potter world uh which interesting enough they didn't have like any mentions of jk rowling i know uh, they're trying to kind of distance themselves away from her with her recent comments uh on transgender rights and stuff like that which is rightfully so you know with properties like these it becomes something else where it's originally her world her information but you have these video game developers take that and just make their own thing which is always a good thing you know when you have a property that can branch off and be its own thing because it could mean different things to different people it's whatever you make of that world the gameplay itself to me look fun I, you know it, it's hard to say until you get your hands on it but it looks to be like a single player story mode game uh which should be fun right up my wheelhouse get lost in in a little bit of a uh, harry potter world so we'll i'll have to see more of it of course as the months come on and you know they'll definitely have more to show during the summer because they announced that it will be most likely released uh by the end of the year in the holidays So definitely going to be looking out for this one and see if it's to my liking. All right. And then uh, another topic we wanted to get into real quick was Elden Ring. And I know we talked a lot about Elden Ring for obvious reasons. It's like the best game ever. 
got too ahead of myself. Can't say the best game ever. Each game is different. They do their own things. They could be good games by mechanics. They could be good games by story. They could be good games by the art and stuff like that. So no one game is the best, I would say. They're all unique in their own ways. But saying that, Elden Ring has definitely climbed up the charts to one of my favorite video games of all time now up there. So we're going to talk a little bit more about Elden Ring and we're going to talk about the influence that From Software uh, has had as a company uh, developing the games to Elden Ring being released because a lot of old companies kind of took stuff that From Software did and implemented into their own games. And then now what they're going to be taking in the future from Elden Ring that will help them make better games. Nick is going to go over some numbers uh, about Elden Ring and stuff. And then we'll, we'll discuss From Software's influence in the video game industry. I don't. I don't think we need to ap- apologize for talking about Elden Ring too much. I think it's. I think it's fine. I think we talked about it an appropriate amount given the size and, and success of the game. And I think going into the numbers, they just recently announced that the game sold 12 million copies in less than three weeks. Just a big, big number uh, in general. But to kind of contextualize, 12 million Dark Souls three took about four years to reach that same number. So four years worth of sales in less than three weeks. Um, so that kind of gives you an idea of just how colossal the sales number this is. So Bandai Namco, who's the publisher of this game, disclosed the sales. Uh, they hinted at, you know, I think they were thanking everyone for embracing the game and hinted that they want to actually expand the IP into other areas. And the specific quote was beyond the realm of games. So it's kind of interesting to think through like what that could potentially look like. I, I'm trying to wrap my head around how you would translate a from software game into like a traditional you know TV and film piece of content because the way the storyline unfolds it's it's just very specific to an interactive gaming experience. So not to say that's impossible, but I think that'll be certainly like a challenge for them to figure out how to how to potentially do that. But yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if there's anime, maybe even some live action stuff. I think a movie might be a bit premature, but I, I could definitely see like an anime or or maybe like a kind of more of like a limited run te- television series or something like that. Well, going on that, uh, just a little quick question for you before I give my thoughts. So we say 12 million copies sold. How many of those copies do you think were returned? Just because people found it too hard. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so actually if you look at the press release and, and go down into the footnotes, they give you a little bit of information around how the 12 million sales figure was derived. So they say it's a combination of distribution figures of the package version or the or the physical release, uh, and then sales figures of the downloadable version. So when I read on the physical release, distribution figures, I'm pretty sure that means what's called uh, sell-in. Um, so that's sales from the distributor to the retailer, uh, which is a, a different number than sell-through, uh, which would be sales from the retailer to to the end consumer. Um, so I'm guessing they're, they're, they're using more of like the sell-in basis on, on the physical release because that'll be the biggest number and you know it's a press release, so they're probably just going to go for the optics of whatever the bigger number is. And yeah, managing returns is actually pretty pretty complex on uh, on physical distribution. So I'd be surprised if they even have all of that reporting figured out yet. And then uh, I actually just don't know uh, for for digital sales how returns work because um, I think generally you need to return the game with like within a couple hours. So I think maybe they have that information available in terms of what the specifically the digital returns are. But maybe to be consistent with how they're reporting uh, physical sales 
they're, they're also probably doing that on a pre-returns basis. So, so again, that's just my kind of speculation, but to answer your question, I think it's uh, 12 million in sales before accounting for returns. Way to turn my joke of, I wonder how many people found the game too hard uh, and returned it into actual knowledge because I did not know that myself, but you know, I thank you for that knowledge. I was thinking of this as well, where probably a high number of returns, but also the completion rate for this game has to be very, very so low compared to other games just because there's so many more people playing it. Well, we, you know, this podcast loves numbers. So down the road, we'll, we'll bring those numbers to you. We'll look up uh, the data on the completion rate and we'll look up the data on what the sold through was. Um, but yeah, going on what you were saying about them saying that they're going to move beyond the realm of games, I can totally see them working with maybe, I know they've done tabletop stuff for uh, Dark Souls and Bloodborne, and then working with George R. R. Martin, I know he has a, his hands full or a plate full. He has like 12 TV shows in the works. He's writing the Game of Thrones books. He's also writing some other books. Uh, he's al- he's always up to something. But I can see him maybe like trying to work on an Elden Ring TV show. Uh, I would definitely love to see some live action, seeing this beautiful world in live action, seeing all the uh, bosses in live action and stuff like that, and just tell the story since he did kind of establish the basis of the lore. I would love to see that in live action. So I can definitely see in the future where them working together could be fruitful, maybe in the live action scene or like you said animation they're big fans of berserk over there at from software so i can see maybe where they can do something akin to uh the berserk anime from 1996-1997 something of a short limited run i would say maybe 12 episodes or something like that especially with like how you have netflix making like a big push into the animation especially animation of video games they just released this year uh cuphead they also released castlevania those years ago and they have other uh video game related shows so you can see something like that working out just because they see an in- the, the interest that people have and they see the the wanting of these type of media. Yeah, I'd love to see a whatever studio did the Castlevania uh, series, like for them to kind of take a swing at a Elden Ring version of, of an anime. So I think that could be really cool. And in regards to Elden Ring being an influence into any future games going forward, we know that Dark Souls and Bloodborne and Sekiro were influences older games. And we obviously know that Elden Ring is going to be an influence in future games. And we can kind of already see it. Uh, There's a lot of discourse on the internet with how Elden Ring doesn't do any hand-holding, which a lot of the video games that are coming out these days do a lot of hand-holding and kind of takes away from the experience. And also a lot of convoluted UI stuff. So a lot of people have been complaining about that, how a lot of the more modern games have too much UI information uh, in the minimalist approach that From Software took in Elden Ring uh, to the UI has definitely had people praising it. What do you think, well, this, this game in particular now will be in the future games? I think it'll be pretty interesting. I mean, the the joke that I've seen in, in a lot of like the social chatter um, is now that you know Elden Ring is a smash hit game. It's that's been the number one game for for a few weeks now. Whenever there's like a big success, I think people will take that game into like ongoing development conversations. So I think the you know kind of like the joke has been like. Oh my God, all developer conversations, you know, all of like the creative meetings are now going to be just people talking about Elden Ring and what concepts they can crib from Elden Ring and, and everyone's just comparing and contrasting with that game. So 
I don't know. It's 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 tough. It's because the game is such a huge success and it's open world. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a success in context of it being an open world game, and that's been a been an ongoing trend for for several years, right? Where just like more often than not, a triple A big budget game, they're increasingly becoming more like open world, and and there's been a specific way that they've been designing these open world games where it's tons of checklists, it's telling people exactly where to go, exactly like what success looks like, and and you know lots of hand holding, and and it's almost kind of become like a meme itself. Where if you look at the map of these games, it's just you're just like overwhelmed with like the legend of the map is just like almost indecipherable, and and there's just stuff everywhere, and it's it's very overwhelming whereas with Elden Ring it's like basically the exact opposite where you have very little information so I don't I don't I don't think companies are going to suddenly just be like oh let's make everything you know vague and unclear about what to do but maybe it's like a nudging AAA developers in open world games to maybe not be so handholdy and and you know mapping exactly everything out so maybe it helps people helps developers like pull back a little bit and give users more uh benefit of that of their like ability to like figure things out yeah with the ui the user interface what we want is basically to be given information but not enough information where we don't want to look at it and and i like i said elden ring does a great job of you know just having the map and then when you're in combat you have your health bars and your items and then that's it you don't really need anything else and then it doesn't guide you in the beginning which it's kind of funny because you either go into an area where you shouldn't have or you or you find stuff that you wouldn't have found if, if you had been following a certain path. So those those are definitely things that I think uh, are, are good for video games going uh, forward in the future if they pick up some of those things. Because at the end of the day, especially with a lot of the newer games coming out, they're like uh, Frankenstein's monster in, in terms of they're picking up bits and pieces from older games that they found that were good or that they perfected it. And you could even say, you know, with Elden Ring itself, the biggest thing that they have that's different from other like Dark Souls and Bloodborne and Sekiro is that it's a big open world game. And uh, you could say that they took that maybe from Breath of the Wild uh, open world and then they installed the Dark Souls uh bloodborne formula into it and it works pretty well because 12 million copies sold tells you that things are working pretty well so hopefully all the these these future games that come out take the good parts of elden ring and the good parts of all the other games and kind of run with it and just keep emulating that and you will definitely see myself just purchasing these games and playing them and talking about them as much as we talked about this game we this game has been out three weeks and we're still talking about it and we're still going to be talking about it uh going forward i mean they just released a new patch which has a lot of new of uh, new npcs a lot of changes to the games and stuff like that a lot of bug fixes so it's definitely um a game that i think will be talked about for the whole year uh we know that usually like especially the games that get released early in the year you kind of forget about them as the year goes on and you more new games come out uh but this game you'll be like in in the summer you'll still be like damn elden ring if you're still not playing it which we probably will be uh you're gonna be like damn elden ring great game Anything other than its take on open world, is there any other design elements that you think might start becoming more commonplace in AAA game development? The other aspects of, of the game, like the combat and stuff like that, they're one of the premier uh, studios that does third-person combat really well. Our first few episodes, I talked about Jedi Fallen Order and how I thought the combat there was wonky. Whereas with From Software, they've perfected it with over seven games that they've developed. I, I feel like maybe that, I, I hope they, they bring forward, I, I feel like the combat that they have is great. 
I do want them to be able to tell a better coherent story where you don't have to kind of go on the internet to kind of figure it out. So that's the only thing I would say I don't want. Yeah, I think I wonder if just like difficulty in games, if if maybe there's some influence around how, you know, bigger developers and publishers think about difficulty of games and, you know, maybe maybe, maybe games start getting like a little bit more, a little bit more challenging or at least there's like more options to make the game more challenging if, if you want to. Because like, for example, I think a lot of people are drawing parallels to like Assassin's Creed as like an open world type game, which I think actually has like a, like I, I did not enjoy the open world experience and that other than it just like looking really pretty and, and, and whatever. But like, I think that's actually like not a great take on, on an open world game design, but I think it's, it's like pretty easy. Like it's a lot of just like kind of butt mashing and, and whatever. So I wonder if those types of games end up getting like more kind of refined combat and, and difficulty options. With a game like Assassin's Creed, which we both have our qualms about, um, and we both enjoy uh, certain parts of certain games, and you know we we both have our favorites. The thing with Assassin's Creed is that I believe around Origins they kind of perfected the game, and that was the best one in the whole series. And then kind of they kept going past it, where it's like okay, you want to add more because people liked it and you want to add more and more. It's an oversaturation. I think they, they need to tone it down a little bit and not not put too much stuff into the games and people will come back to the series, just kind of slow it down. Uh, same thing with Call of Duty. That's why, you know, it's skipping a year next year. Like, calm down, stop pushing the games that are all the same, become innovative, try to come out with newer things that people will enjoy or just slow it down a little bit and don't feed people too much. Otherwise, they're going to get full and they don't want any of that. All right. And then we want to talk about you went on a little trip this past week, which I was a little bit jealous, but you kept me updated. Do you want to tell our listeners where you went? Sure. Yeah, I went to South by Southwest. For those who don't know, it's a film, music, and interactive media festival, I guess, um, that takes place in Austin, Texas. I think it's usually around like mid-March, somewhere around there. And yeah, because of COVID, you know, that it hasn't been in person for a couple of years. So this was kind of the return to it being an in-person event. Uh, it was my first time going. For people I've met who are like South by veterans that have been to, you know, the events a bunch before COVID, like they said that this was like a pretty tame event. It wasn't as kind of crowded or, or populated and there wasn't like as many things going on. I think uh, real quick on that, it's it's weird because all these events that have been on a little hiatus because of COVID, now they're starting to ramp up where they're picking up and they're opening them, them up again. Case in point, when we went to PAX West Penny Arcade Expo back in September, uh, it did seem like a little bit tame, like it wasn't as hyped as we thought it was going to be. And I think it was because it was the first one they had in a while because of COVID. Yeah, sure. Hopefully uh, when we go to Vegas in August, uh, Evo isn't too tame, but you know, we're going to be in Vegas, so it won't matter. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not worried about that one. Uh, I think that I think that'll be fun no matter what. But yeah, I think it makes sense that these large scale, you know, festivals and, and exhibitions kind of need to probably like a year or two to get back to the size that they were before before COVID. So, but yeah, I was there there for a few days. There's a lot of buzzwords floating around. You know, it's it's metaverse, NFTs, Web three, crypto. I would have hated so much people. I would have been punching people. Shut up! Shut up! I think people are generally bought into there's something there in the long term, really big opportunity to do something. But it's like real it's like real messy right now where like everyone has like no idea what, you know, metaverses or the the potential of like, you know, crypto and NFTs and 
it's just going to take some more time and more like actually getting proof of concept into the market to get people to like understand what's actually what's actually going on and you know everyone has like different definitions of what they think all this stuff is and so it's just it's just a bit all over the place but i think people are think there's something here and you know it'll hopefully we'll figure it out in the long term but yeah, I think uh, what's happening now is like people are just saying what's on the market and they see these like very shitty, you know, images of monkeys and whatever. <laughs> and it's just like so. But I, I think the, the future potentials is much, much bigger than that. And so I think a lot of the negative sentiment is kind of looking at what's happening in the market now and like the the, the insane values, you know, that these things are, are generating. And I think people are kind of think we're in a bit of a hype bubble but you know there should be like a, a correction and i guess it's a question about what happens after that which nobody knows but we're all trying to figure it out yeah i think for me it's just like when it doesn't feel like a grift then i think i'll be comfortable because so far for me everything like the metaverse and nfts and crypto it feels like a grift and i may be wrong you know i don't i haven't done enough research and i don't plan to because it's not something i'm interested in as much but i, I feel like you know it 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 feels so much like a grift. And if there's anything that video game people can spot is a grift. I think they don't get suckered too much into things. So that's why they're very skeptical of everything. Um, so we'll have to see how that plays out in the future. Yeah, I I mean, I totally agree. Like, I think if, if you were to explain to someone, if you were to be like, hey, this is what a pyramid scheme is. And then you explain <laughs> what's happening with NFT. Like, you'd be like, they're the same thing. Like the pyramid scheme. <laughs> you explained the pyramid scheme to me, yeah. so so I I, to I totally get it, and I'm I'm kind of in that same camp where it's like I don't quite understand what's happening right now, but I do think um, there's a lot of opportunity with the technology, you know, with with blockchain technology, with the idea of certificates of authenticity for digital assets. I think this is like an interesting concept. The metaverse is also interesting. I think as gamers, I think most times, you know, when a gamer hears about metaverse, they're just like, oh, yeah, like, how is that different from World of Warcraft, yeah. which has been around for 20 years. So so I totally get it. I think there's maybe something more kind of incremental beyond like in what we currently play with like mmos but some you know there, there could be some interesting stuff there so that's kind of where my head's at where i think i'm i'm fascinated by the technology i think there's a lot of potential it's just like a kind of a mess right now and that was you know more or less validated by kind of going to this trade show and <laughs> like no one didn't, didn't really see anything terribly terribly compelling um as it relates to like you know nfts and all that Probably the biggest highlight of the show for me was uh, eating lots and lots of tacos. Great, great tacos in Austin. I think my record was six meals in a row where I had tacos. So breakfast, lunch, and dinner, tacos, two, two days in a row. Sounds like a good dietary plan. It was great. <laughs> what was your favorite taco spot so for, for the listeners? Like if they're ever in Austin, go to... So it's just like, there's like a bunch of trucks. There's a pretty big food truck culture there. Uh, I don't remember the names of... of of any of them of any of the food trucks i think they're just kind of taco food trucks that are close to <laughs> close to downtown so check those out and then there is a uh a franchise called taco deli okay which i don't know if you've heard of i went there a lot uh the breakfast tacos are are incredible so definitely recommend taco deli if you're ever down there go to taco deli guys you heard it the other fun fact was I saw George R. R. Martin and Jamie fucking Lannister. That was cool to see them. I'm guessing you talked to them about Elden Ring since, you know, it's a big thing. No, I <laughs> no, I can't. I'm not I'm not the type of person to like I know you are the type of person who would absolutely see George R. R. Martin and then just run up to him. Definitely. And, 
start start asking a million questions i'm i'm not that like i'm like oh yeah like i'm i don't want to be the person that just like interrupts a famous person with whatever their dumb dumb nonsense i have to ask they're about, just so. regular people man yeah <laughs> sure the the awkward stories i could tell about me and you hanging out and me just randomly talking to famous people because it's funny and you're like oh my god hugo what are you doing i mean that i think we have like a whole episode worth of those experiences <laughs> <laughs> i think there's that and there's also just like the whole time in japan where you're just like just confusing everyone in sight um, i, I want to talk to everybody at all times i will talk to you even if i don't know you to ask you for directions or anything so yeah uh so yeah, it's cool cool to see them uh i did I, I definitely wanted to ask about elden ring and specifically be like what did you actually do <laughs> the like the the internet wants to know what <laughs> like was this a one-page thing or like what like what what, what did you actually do because no one nobody knows uh but you know i, I I kind of have to give from software credit because you have to imagine that the labeling of this game being like a George R. R. Martin game definitely helped with the sales and, and like marketing of the game. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's something there in terms of the impact of him and, and being involved with the game that is leading to why it's, you know, sold 12 million copies in three weeks. But, uh, you could have said that but in terms of like the actual influence. What's that? You could have said that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> next time. Next time. Hey, 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 George! How much money did you make off of this? And do you have a off of that one paragraph you probably did profit profit share? Or what's going on there? <laughs> yeah, the whole the whole event is pretty cool. It's like a mix of you know, there's there's all these different panels with industry experts talking about you know kind of particular topics. So so it's really you know you check out panels, you're networking, you're catching up with you know either coworkers or just just people you know so it's it's really all that and then you know you kind of do that all day and then you you have dinner plans and grab some drinks after so all right that's pretty much the cycle so yeah nothing nothing too too crazy um hopefully we get big enough get our own uh, south by southwest panel yeah i mean there was a lot of a lot of podcast panels about you know audience development and all that stuff um I didn't join any of them because we're just so naturally good at it yeah. that we didn't. We need don't help. need that. Um, we don't need that. Yeah, <laughs> but I could see why other people might need it. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but so you know, there, there was definitely a, a big emphasis on podcast content creators. Yeah, maybe maybe in a future South by there could be a pressing buttons booth. We'll be the one surrounded by taco trucks. Some sort of activation. Yeah. Maybe we could even have our own. Uh, yeah, have our own taco truck. Yeah. We're ready. We're, I don't know. We're ready. Uh, we'll figure it out. We have uh, our our cell phones ready for that call. If you hear, if anybody from South by Southwest is hearing this, which I'm sure they are, you know, we have such a broad community. Yeah. All right. So that does it for all the topics. You know, uh, uh, some information on games, some information on Elden Ring, and then some information on Nick going on South by Southwest. So we're gonna leave you with some closing thoughts. My closing thoughts for the week is. I've been playing more Elden Ring. Surprise, surprise. Uh, but I've taken some more time. I've gotten uh, farther in the world. I'm about 40 hours in. So much to explore. I'm always finding new things or just like seeing something in the horizon. Like, ooh, what's that? And going over there. Uh, so no surprise there. I'm, I'm so enjoying the game. While I'm doing that, I'm also playing uh, Lost Ark. Uh, I'm in Tier 3, which is towards the end. Ga- it's the end game at this point. Amazon Studios uh, recently announced that they're patching the game because it's a little bit hard. They didn't expect everybody to get to the end game so quick, even though the game's been out in South Korea for three or four years. So like all that content they brought to the, well, most of the content they brought to the US, they weren't expecting people to just breeze through it. 
uh, with all that content, which they have. So they're going to make it easier for people to kind of uh, get past the end, get into the end game and be there. Because right now the economy is really rough, which I never realized that would happen in MMOs. And it kind of sucks when I don't want to farm for uh, materials. I want to play other fucking games. And then I'm prepping myself because... As our listeners know, next month, even though we'll be busy, we're busy, busy people, is our little wager, not wager, but our little thing that Nick and I are doing, where Nick is going to play some Destiny, and I'm going to play some Final Fantasy. We're going to do that next month in April. It might be towards the end of the month, just depending on uh, how far along we, we are in the games we're playing. But, you know, our loyal listeners are looking forward to that, so I'm prepping myself. What about you? I know uh, being in South by Southwest kind of didn't give you a lot of time. Yeah, I think that I think that's kind of my big update. But as soon as I got back to my apartment, I was playing a lot of Elden Ring. Um, so I'm, I've just surpassed about ninety hours in the game. So I've been playing it quite a bit. Yeah, one one annoying thing where I tried picking the game up after the patch was I couldn't launch the game. <laughs> So I think, you know, there was, there was a, they just recently patched it. I can no longer just even start the game. And it took like 30 minutes to figure out how to actually get the game to, to launch. Oof, and that sucks. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, PC gaming was the solution. Do, have you heard about this? The solution was to uninstall the Epic Game Store. Oh, so I so I so I own the game on Steam. The solution to get the game to boot was to uninstall the Epic <laughs> Game Store. Um, I think I think there was like some some conflict that was happening with the anti cheat software. So Oof. so I thought that was hilarious. That uh, <laughs> like ha, like that's got to be like illegal, right? Where it's like you can't, you can't you can't get a game to start unless you uninstall your competitor's game store. Like I thought that was just unbelievable. Epic Game Store taking two big hits this week: one with Elden Ring, and the other one with being a shitty port on uh, Final Fantasy Stranger Paradise. Yeah, I mean that's that's like maybe noteworthy as well because we were planning, as we talked about in a prior episode, we played the demo, we enjoyed it, the performance was kind of shaky, which I think has more or less been validated in, in reviews, where I think people are kind of pretty pretty disappointed with the performance of the game. When I say performance, I mean like specifically, you know, the, the graphics, the frame rate, stuff like that. So yeah, the, the disappointing port um, on the Epic Game Store. So that's kind of caused me to hit the pause button and see if they fix it. And if they fix it, I'll pick it up down the road, which is totally fine because I'm just so focused on Elden Ring. So yeah, we'll, we'll be playing it down the road. Uh, we love that shit. Chaos. Yeah. All right. Uh, thanks for listening to episode 11 of Pressing Buttons. We are international, so uh, we appreciate the love and we'll see you on the next episode. Bye. Later. Thanks for joining us on episode 11 of Pressing Buttons. The show is produced by Nick and myself. I also edit the show. Our great theme is composed by Layla. Don't forget to give us a rating and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. See you on the next episode.